message, what we believe about the cross. Welcome everybody to our online service. Again, we are so blessed to be able to, to put this message out there. And today we're going to be in, in Genesis. And we are going to be talking about the crucifixion of, of Jesus. Without question, the story found in Genesis 22, 1-18 of Abraham and Isaac is one of the most shocking and memorable narratives in all of the Old Testament. And yet, in its outcome, it is one of the greatest stories describing the loyalty of God to his covenant people. And it is, it is foreshadowing plan of his salvation to the world. See, in Genesis 3.15, remember, the promise God made to destroy evil and redeem human humanity through the offspring of woman. So let's dig in. We're going to start by reading Genesis 12.3. God, talking to Abraham, tells him this. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, how is he going to do that? Well, he gives Abraham a son named Isaac. The full story is he gets this son. They're old. They shouldn't be able to have a children anymore. But God blesses them with Isaac. They try to do it on their own, pretty much like we try to do things on our own. And we mess up, just like they messed up. But God delivered, and he delivered a son named Isaac. You see, we believe God is always faithful. Isaac births previews the coming of Jesus. See, Isaac was born because God is faithful and promised Abraham a son, just as he promised sinners a savior. Go back to Genesis 3.15, the beginning of the Bible, where he promises a deliverer for the sins of Adam and Eve. He promises a savior, and throughout the whole Old Testament, that is what the whole book is about. It's about Jesus. Every single book in the Old Testament is about Jesus, about the coming of a savior. The birth of Isaac came as a demonstration of God's grace. Just as, it was a dem just as it was demonstrated at the coming of Christ. You see, Abraham and Sarah were, were quite elderly when Isaac was born. So far beyond the years of childbearing that Sarah laughed at God's plan in Genesis 18, 9, 12. Yet, God often does the humanely impossible to fill his purposes. See, Jesus, after all, was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, Matthew 1.18 tells us. See, though, though Abraham and Sarah devised what they thought to be a more practical plan to fulfill God's promise by using Hagar as a surrogate mother, Genesis 16.1-4 tells us, it was ultimately God's faithfulness not human effort. We need to remember that. It's not by human effort which brought forth Isaac. In a similar way, Jesus came to earth because God is faithful and fulfills all of his promises. All 
of his promises. Not some of his promises. God fulfills all of his promises. It might not seem like that sometimes, but he always does what he says he's going to do. See, after Isaac was born, Sarah laughed once again. But this time is not out of unbelief and mockery, but out of astonishment and joy. Genesis 21, 5 through 6 tells us. But today, believers should also be, we as believers should also be filled with joy and astonishment at the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. That he did send Jesus to die for you and me. See, so we're going to start in Genesis 22, and I'm going to show you the comparisons between the story of Isaac and the story of Jesus. It starts in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moab and offer him there as a burnt offering on the one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And the, and the funny thing is, that, that place in the land of Moab, that mountain that he told him, a lot of scholars believe that that is the place of the skull where Jesus was crucified. That's where Abraham's taking Isaac to the place of the skull. He goes on to say, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Hebrews 17 says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his own son. See, we believe that God sent his only son his only son. You see, take Genesis 22, 2. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Isaac is the only son, the beloved of his father. See, only son is, mind the pronunciations, Yahed in Hebrew, which in Greek can be translated in monades or agapitos. Monogaze means one and only, unique. Abigot means beloved. See, Isaac was his one and only son and his beloved. In Hebrews eleven seventeen, by faith Abraham, what I've just read, when, when he was tested, offered up his son. And it says offering up his only son. That only son he offers up is the word mahoganaze. That is what the Bible says about Isaac. Jesus is called Mahogany several times. He's also called Agapidos, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. In John 1, speaking of Jesus, John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, he was in the beginning. He wasn't created, he was with God from the beginning. All things came into being by him. 
word. That's why John uses in the beginning was a word because Genesis starts off with God speaking this world into existence. And without him, nothing came into being that has came into being. So the Bible teaches that Jesus was in the beginning with God. And he created everything that has come into being. So since he created everything that came into being, then he himself never came into being. He is the center, the creator of everything. He has always been and always will be. So when John 3.16 speaks of the Son, it is speaking of the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. This gets us to the phrase, only begun, which does, what does that mean? The phrase only begun translate, translates the Greek word mahogany. This word is translated into English as only and one and only and only begun. You see, John's here, his primary, his primary concern is to demonstrate that Jesus is the Son of God. The only Son of God. God. Genesis 22 goes on to say this, on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from the altar. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he he, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. See, we believe that Jesus carried his cross. You see, it's a, and Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Did you catch that? Who was carrying the wood which would be the instrument of his death? Isaac carried the word, Jesus carried the crossbeam until he couldn't anymore. See, both bore the instrument of their execution. John 19, 16b through 17 says this, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his cross. But then he probably wasn't carrying his whole cross. He was, the, the pole usually stayed in place and they would Nail you, they would, you would carry the cross beam. And he would have that laid on his shoulders. But because he was scourged and beaten, to unrecognizable, stripped naked, flesh tore out, he didn't have the strength to do what they would normally make people do when they crucified him. You see, Usually you didn't get flogged and crucified. But Jesus got flogged. His flesh was ripped from his body. The word excruciating comes from the word crucify. But because Jesus was flogged and, and before being crucified, Mark 15, 21 says, they compelled the passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. 
the barber of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. Because Jesus wasn't able to carry it anymore. Because he had so many burdens upon him. He had so much blood left his body already. Genesis 22 goes on to say this. Verses 6 through 18. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. So just remember this son that everybody pictures as this little boy was not a little boy. He was at least a teenager because he was strong enough to have the wood of his offering put on his back and to carry it. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went before, went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in, in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on, the, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withhold, withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up to him as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as of the sand that is on the sheet seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy. You see, we believe that Jesus died for our sins. See, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. But you see, God doesn't provide a lamb. Verse 13 says, he showed up. And God provides a ram. You see, the ram was sacrificed in place of Isaac to save Isaac. You see, the, cat, the ram, this is interesting, the ram was caught in a thicket. Do you know what a thicket is? A thorn bush. 
What did the soldiers place on Jesus' head? John 19 says this, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So where is the Lamb? Behold, Jesus is the Lamb of God. God's Lamb who is God's son. You see, unlike Abraham, the father went through with the sacrifice. And he offered up his son. You see, scripture is so clear. Christ came to earn, to earn salvation for us because of God's faithful love, mercy, justice. God's love is affirmed in John 3.16. You know, I think when we see John 3.16, we see it so much that we forget what it really means. How important that that verse is. Because people hold it up at football games. Not today, but they hold it up and they hold signs and they, they, they just have it. For God so loved the world. You see, God didn't have to love the world. Just because God created it didn't mean he had to love it. I cook and I make some stuff and I don't love it. See, God made us. We messed up, but he still loved us. See, God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, when, when Jesus was in the garden, before he went and got arrested, okay, all of that excruciating sins that you've committed, and I've committed, and every sin that's ever going to be committed, and every sin that's ever been committed, was pushing down on him. I think that's why he went to the olive garden, where the olive press was, and prayed, because he was being pressed. Like they press olives for oil. That's, that was, to me, when I think about it, I think, was that more painful than everything else that happened to him? To feel all of that stuff pushed down on All the stuff, and I think about the stuff that I've done, that's pushing down on Jesus in the garden. And pressing him. No wonder in the garden he sweats blood. Because he's in excruciating pain. In Jesus' life and death, we find a full expression of God's justice. You see, God had to, God is, is, is holy. And God had to have justice because he's God. So sin has to be punished. But God is also faithfully Loving. See, God gave his son, own son to bear our punishment. I want you to remember, especially this week coming up to Easter, that, that we, we worship a God that died for us because he loves us that much. 
although God did not have to save any people at all, but in his love and grace, he chose to save us. Once he made that decision, once he made a decision to save us, he had to do something. See, God's justice made it necessary that he had to do something. He could not just allow it to not be nothing done. The crime had to be punished. So Christ had to live a life. He had to die the death that you and I deserve. But he lived a life that nobody in the universe will ever be able to live. See, unlike the sacrifices of the Old Testament, See, when they sacrifice someone at the Old Testament, they were sacrificing it for what? For sins they'd already committed. Not for sins they were going to commit. They had to do a new sacrifice for that one. You see, when they sacrificed it, it had no lasting value. There was no lasting value. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. You see, that is why on the cross he says, it is finished. Because it is finished. You can't earn salvation. Genesis goes on to say this. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. You see, we believe that Jesus rose on the third day. And usually we talk about this point next week on Easter Sunday when, when he actually rose. But we're going to talk about what that means to us next week that he rose. So we believe that Jesus did rise on the third day. See, Abraham's confidence in the light of the impending task testifies to a deeper confidence. See, Abraham had a confidence in God that I could only wish for. I pray that I have the same sort of confidence that Abraham had. That his profound confidence in God, not only had, he, had God asked him to do this startling task of, of sacrificing his son, but Abraham was certain that God would provide a means of deliverance. If we go back to the text, he told his servants to wait while he and Isaac his son went to worship God on the mountain. Knowing that God commanded him to sacrifice his son, Abraham told his servants that he and the boy, if you read the Hebrew, it actually says, we will come back. Would come back soon. See, Genesis 22, 4 through 5 says, on the third day, Remember that. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here while with the donkey, and I and the, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. He knew that God had promised to create a great nation through Isaac. Abraham had faith in God that he knew that he promised him a son the son Isaac and Isaac was going to 
bless and, and have multiple, multiple, multiple generations and great things. He was going to build a kingdom out of Isaac. You see? And the reason Abraham knew that God would either deliver Isaac from death or resurrect him from following his death is told in Hebrews 11, 19, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham knew either way God would keep his word, because God always does what he says he's going to do. So Jesus also trusted God in the face of impending death. You see, the ultimate son of the promise, Jesus asked that God take away the cup of suffering. Luke 22:42 says, Father, in his prayer in the garden, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Yet Jesus knew that God would be faithful either by providing deliverance from death or through his subsequent victorious resurrection. You see, unlike Isaac, Jesus would willingly and confidently walk not only to the brink of death, but through death itself. And once again, demonstrate the faithfulness of God in his promises. And Jesus did rise from the, the grave. Because if Jesus had only died for our sins, you and I have committed what you and I have committed, we would only have partial salvation. See, and in order to carry out the, in the fellowship with God, we would have to live a perfect life of obedience. So Christ just didn't die for our sins. But he lived a perfect, sinless life. You see, this is how I like to explain it. This is like copy and paste, because I love copy and paste, okay, on the computer. It's great. You copy through it, bam. This is how I say it. See, what God does when we accept him as our personal saviour, as my Lord and my saviour, is he takes, he, 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 takes the little mouse and he goes and he presses delete on Mark on me. And then he copies all of Jesus' righteousness and he goes BAM and pastes it on me. And then when I screw up again, because I'm going to do that, okay, he does the same thing. He deletes what's on of me and he takes Jesus and he's copied that and he BAM he pastes it and he does the same for you. We have Jesus' righteousness. See, because Christ lived a perfect, sinless life, he died a horrific death. And I think we start to forget how horrific Jesus' death was for our sin. He died a sinner's death. in order to save people like you and me from their sins. 
See, Matthew 1 21 says this, talking about Mary. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. There's an interesting fact, by the way. Back in them days, you didn't get a name for eight days. When you were born, if you made it eight days and you went to, to be given to God at the temple, then you were named. But notice, Isaac had a name before he was born, and Jesus has a name before he was born. See, for he will save his people from their sins. Every person that God has given to Jesus is going to be saved. He paid the penalty we deserve to pay for our sins. He bore the wrath that you and I deserved. And he overcome separation from our sins. The separation that our sins have caused between God and us. He freed us from bondage caused by those sins. Because of what Christ has done on our behalf, God can deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Because Jesus did just die. Jesus lived a life that you could not live. He died a death that you should have died. But he rose. On what day did he rise? On the third day. See, figuratively speaking, like the Bible says, Isaac was raised on the third day. Jesus literally walked out of the grave on the third day. This is what it says in Luke 24, 1-7. But on the first day of the week, that would be the third day at, on a Sunday, that's why we worship as Christians on a Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, took, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone all the way from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood up, stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the man said to them, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified, and on the third day rise. See, we serve a God who defeated sin and death. You have to do nothing to accept that. Not for himself, but for you and me. So let's let that sink in for a minute. That he did that for you. Think about it. Think about all the stuff that you've done that you are ashamed of. That is what nailed Christ to the cross. We see that Jesus did raise from the grave. The grave. So let's think about this for a minute. There are no accidents, no coincidences within the will of God. 
Why this story? The story of Abraham and Isaac was given to us to show us God's plan of salvation through sacrificing his only son, Jesus, for our sin. What happened on the cross? Jesus became what we were, that we might have what he has. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For the, our sake, that's you and me, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ask yourself this, am, am I an imperfect sinner? Absolutely. Romans 3.23 says this, For all, and that's everybody, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Can I get to heaven without dealing with my sin? Absolutely not. John 14.6 said this, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what do I have to do to wash away my sin? You have to trust Christ as your only hope of heaven by inviting him into your life. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be seen. You know that all have sinned? Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. That's why it's called the gospel. Because that's what it is. It's good news. You see, we can come as we are. And we take him as he is. Can you say with John, and I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. God's grace and love is pictured so clearly and so perfectly on the cross. That that is the center of what we believe. But if it just stopped at the cross, we would not be, have the relationship. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death for sin. But three days later, he rose. He rose to give you and me life. As long as we trust him, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a great, amazing God. That, yes, we messed up, God. We mess up all the time. But we have to remember that it's not about what we do, it's about what you've done for us. As long as we turn away from what we've lived, 
and turn to you, the one who loves and cares for us, and call upon your son Jesus, and take his life, his words, and you take all the bad 